Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of mining the Wild West and the and the Appalachian Mountains and the streams and the valleys for nuggets of gold and occasionally finding some. There's gold in them there hills. Yeah, we're sitting on a gold mine. This week... Uh, on Gaming on the Frontier, we are talking about what would it have been like if Bureau 13 hadn't gotten started after the Civil War, but instead got started in the Revolutionary Time. Now, a lot of people forget that people came to America ex uh, expecting to find streets paved with gold and all, you know, and, and a place where, you know, anybody could earn their fortune practically overnight. And of course, this was a lie that was sold to them by uh, people who were trying to create colonists, people that were trying to get indentured servants uh, for various uh, estates and plantations and things like that, and uh, people that were trying to sell passage to <laughs> and um, and supplies to those people. Uh, of course, some people came to America for religious freedom, and uh, but that is uh, is really something that happened more in the 1600s uh, than in the 1700s, because when we're talking about the Revolutionary time, we're talking about 1776. Yeah. Now, the 1700s, you know, and during that time, uh, I mean, uh, America was a British colony. Uh, to the west of us was a very big, uh, mostly uh, uh, mostly un uncontrolled French colony, and all the way out to the west coast was a Spanish colony. <laughs> okay. So America itself, we're really only talking about the, the original colonies, the east coast. Uh, the rest of the United States, that's something that we're going to have to talk about later as you know, is more toward the time of the of the Civil War, as America, with his manifest destiny, stretched itself across the uh, North America continent, uh, taking over large, very large chunks of land inhabited by the native people of America. Uh, but of course, nobody cares about them, right? Because you know, they weren't Europeans. So. Uh, now, we know that from the Bureau of History that during certain periods of time, especially after World War I, uh, that a lot of people came to America, a lot of supernatural people uh, came to America as part of the emigration from Europe, people leaving wars, leaving, you know, fleeing war-torn areas. Uh, and places where the, the infrastructure was, was really bad because they'd had lots of wars there. In, 
and the wars we're talking about are you know the the, the Germany uh, uh, versus uh, France and other things like that. Over in America, uh, they had similar problems. Uh, they uh, uh, originally there was the French and Indian War, okay, which uh, which was the French and the Indians against the British. This was followed, it wasn't the French against the Indians. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Indians, or Native Americans, uh, uh, we then had uh, uh, the French versus the British, which was called uh, King George's War, which actually lasted up to, I believe, 1748. So uh, like a mere 26, you know, 28 years before the American Revolution, the colonies were embroiled in a war against you know its nearest neighbors, uh, which were the French, uh, so you can imagine that there were a lot of people that were you know, it, you know when he talked about how the, it was a war breaking off from from England because of um, uh, because of taxation and things like that. I'm not would not at all be surprised to find out that it was also a war of where the American people were tired of fighting somebody else's wars against our neighbors. Now, you know, we had the War of 1812 that came later where America got its butt kicked by Canada. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. It's not like they it's not like they weren't guilty because that mindset does not go away. Just because you become a new nation does not mean that you don't have that let's go and war against our neighbors. Because <laughs> apparently that that happened a lot. At least this one's ours. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the way a lot of countries enlarge themselves, okay? Uh, 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 and matter of fact, Russia, the way to, uh, if you were a Russian nobleman and you wanted to, uh, and, you're, you know, and, you're, and you had three choices, your sons either inherited the estate, they joined the military, uh, or, they, uh, or they went into the church. Those are basically the three options. Okay, so if you went into the military and you wanted to, you know, show yourself approved, uh, you wanted to rise in the ranks and get better appointments, the easiest thing to do was to just go out and try to take land from anybody that wasn't you. Okay, and so you, uh, when you look at Russia, they have these constant back and forth changing borders from from generation to generation, all because people are trying to get noticed by the people above and get themselves either land for themselves or to get better appointments. And the same thing happened in America. All right, so you've got this constant churning of warfare happening around uh, the uh, edges, if I may use that term, of the, of the 13 colonies, okay? Because uh, remember, uh, uh, Florida did not belong to the 13 colonies. They weren't part of America originally. Oh, uh, that was Spain, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, Spain owned that, okay? And just a little bit to the to the southwest, uh that was um that was France with New Orleans until we got the Louisiana Purchase. So, you know, mostly what we're talking of, you know, so with the so spreading out west to to really uh wilderness places like Ohio <laughs> okay. And Michigan, which was under French control for the Right, time. right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, everything around the, 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 that area was basically uh, contested land. 
Okay, you know, though, of course, everybody and everybody was claiming it, you know, though, of course, there were official lines drawn based upon the last war of engagement and in, in, in how they, they, you know, pulled back in for the winter. So, uh, all right. So, so we have here is we have a people that are basically on a relatively thin layer of the eastern seaboard, and they're surrounded by, you know, all this, all these areas that can be, you know, could be that are being disrupted and are having incursions going in, and people are crossing it from other areas. And in those places, the supernatural can be existing and get upset, get riled, get 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 you know whatever by people doing this. <laughs> so. I can, you know, and uh, I can see where there could be quite a few supernatural incidences occurring during revolutionary time due to this activity. Oh, oh, I, I have a perfect game that would work if you wanted to run this thought. And, and I'll, I'll take the responsibility slash blame for this thought experiment that we're talking about. In our pre, in our, well, no, the pre-game notes in the group, I, I said, Here's a thought experiment. What if, you know, Bureau 13 started their New American Revolution? Right. Well, go ahead, Trav. Tell me what you're thinking about this. Okay. There is a wonderful game by Atlas Games, and it has been brought up up to speed with Pathfinder by my buddy Jonathan Thompson of Battlefield Press. It's called Northern Crown. Now, they've already done a three-point, you know, an OGL version. They just updated it to Pathfinder rules. But it's basically adventuring in that American Revolution time and a little before. So I'm just saying, if you were to run this as a thought experiment, that would be a wonderful resource to use to have that pre-revolution era um, setting. And just with, with this, of course, the biggest supernatural threat you're going to have is those of a Native American origin. Now, First thing that come to mind with Native Americans and, and, well, for Canadians, the First Nations is the Wendigo. But that's a little farther north. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, on supernatural entities and beings that would be within, like, the 13 colonies and all the, oh, wait a minute. Um... Do you two know of the whole, and I forget the name of the town, but it was a town that had been settled by the British, and then they lost contact, and when later British came, the village was totally empty, it, it had been built up, so the buildings and everything had been already erected, but the people were Trap. all gone, and there was you only one... Okay, there was only a sign of one, and it was somebody wrote on a rock the word. Two. Okay, well, I remember the one was the word Croatoan. Yep. Okay, good. And the other one said Crow. Okay. Because I know this because back in my acting days, I worked at the Lost Colony Outdoor Theater on the side of Roanoke uh -huh. in North Carolina. So I am very familiar with that lost colony okay that that so as i said there's a lot of supernatural stuff that was here in quote unquote the new world 
that my my thing was along the line my 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 path to this thought experiment was here are the Americans in the colonies saying we don't want taxes we're dumping your tea and the British are bringing supernatural in to <clears throat> curtail the colonies trying to break away that was my whole beginning of this thought experiment like how in Bureau 13 canon it was the Confederate States wanting to bring in the supernatural and Lincoln made Bureau 13 to stop that I would be thinking that what would eventually become the Continental Congress with you know General Washington and all that came up with some type of group agency what have you to stop the British from using supernatural elements. That was what my whole thought process was for this little thought experiment that I posted. That the British were messing with the colonies using supernatural weaponry, well, I mean, effects, help, what have you. If nothing else, one inspiration for that is the um, Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, the last two movies with the uh, East India Company press ganging <laughs> um, I can't remember his name now, but uh, 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 Jeffrey Rush, his character? Yeah, his character. Bar Barbosa, Captain Barbosa. No, 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 well okay, with the him, but also the, the supernatural squid guy. Davy Jones. Ah, Bill Nye's character, yes. Yes, press-ganging him into their service. Nah. Which usually would mean that there would be somebody in back in England knowledgeable in the supernatural to know, yes, we want to press-gang Shanghai, forcibly enlist, conscript, whatever you want to call it. These Black entities yeah. blackmail that, too. Or, you know, if we if they have access to a lich, yes, we found your file actor. You work for us now. Fill in the blank. And <laughs> here's all of these supernatural entities sent by the British Empire to keep their colonies in check. So General Washington and those, you know, part of the colonial army decide to create a small group within the army dealing specifically with all of that. Hence, this version of Bureau 13. Of course, obviously, they'd have another name, but in effect, it would be Bureau 13. Now, the British, you know, uh, they actually had a number of uh, supernatural-oriented type groups that were uh, had actually a fairly high profile uh, in England. The Hellfire Club which was actually a, a group of different clubs, but was, uh, uh, was very prominent. Uh, it was established in 1718. Oh, oh, right on time, yeah. Right, and they met regu regularly from 1749 through uh, uh, to 1760, and possibly even up to 1766. So uh, there were other ones that were established later. Uh, and the point was, is that they, they were doing, it was kind of a uh, high society, uh, you know, 
thumbing their noses at propriety and other things like that. Supposedly they would do a, a number of religious rites, but they would do them like profanely. You know, of course, there was lots of sex and drugs and things like that, you know, because, you know, upper crust people at the time, they they didn't actually do anything. <laughs> so they went from salon to sal salon, uh, you know, having discussions, having parties and stuff. And this was just another way of doing it. But if there was a group of them that actually thought they could gain power from this, you know, in the Bureau of 13 world, this would be true then they actually could get serious about it and uh, and go to the powers that be, uh, you know, the, the king. And uh, if not the king, his son, the prince, who later became the king, was a member or at least was well, w w uh, attended meetings on a, on an irregular basis and was considered, considered the, the, these various clubs in, in um, he was he was well favored toward them, okay, because yes. he gave them a number of gifts that were obviously uh, showing his favorism toward those clubs, uh, which I don't want to get into because this is a family show. Yes, <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, right. So uh, the point is, is that there were people that if if they found the supernatural was true and there was power to be had, they had a good reason to do it, and if they wanted to try out their chops, what better place to do it than the Americas, where if you made a mistake and took out a town... Nobody would know. Nobody yeah. would care, because they're just colonists, after all. And also, it was on the other side of the damn ocean. It's like... Yeah, who's going to hear about it? to get there. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. it, would, it would never get back to Britain. Yeah, exactly. And it, to me, it would be very, uh, you know, if you did create a, a kind of a, a squad or, uh, you know, some kind of a, a hit team from the British toward the Americas, uh, you could see them being outfitted in their own boats, you know, with, you know, special gear in them to, you know, summoning circles, uh, you know, because, yeah, you can imagine like, okay, we're, you know, the British, we're going to park ourselves offshore about a mile and we're going to summon up, you know, a, 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 um, a water spout and send it crashing against, you know, a, a military objective on the coast. Okay, Bruce, I would see it like this. I, we might be agreeing, but this is, again, my thought process. Um, you have a bunch of bored, rich people who want to gain favor with, and I do believe it was King George. King George I was believe. the king at the time, yes. Yes, I, I do believe, uh, let's see, the movie was The Madness of King George, Nigel Hawthorne from Demolition Man. Yeah, him. They're all wanting to kiss up to the king because, hey, if we have the king's ear, we can get what we want. Oh, he wants us to help out with this little problem over in the colonies? Yeah, if we flex our muscles, you know, show them what we're capable of, yeah, we might be able to get all sorts of cool stuff and patronage from our monarch, the king, if we help them out with this little colonial problem because they don't like our taxation. They're dumping their RT into Boston Harbor. They're wanting to, you know. So, yeah, I could see these. Bore, and they would be. A lot of these people, from what I understand, the Hellfire Club, were nothing more than bored, rich socialites. So, yeah, they're going to want to, 
you know, be it, you know, get in, you know, get, you know, you know, that whole elbow moment. Yeah, your majesty, how you doing? Yeah. Oh, you need some help? Yeah, sure. And of course, yeah, you can help us out later, you know, just. So, yeah, I could see them, um, like you said, amassing this secret fleet and just heading over to the colonies and just the water spout or maybe summon, you know, something from the netherworld. And just, yeah, you see that, that walled fort over there? Leave it in flames. Just whoever's there, they get the flames too. A double order. Yeah. And no, I could see that. A bunch. And, and I would see them do that because then they get to really... They get, they get to exercise their, their <clears throat> abilities out in the open, but not in the open. They get to do them openly. But again, nobody back on the continent or on the aisles would even know about it because it's over in the colonies. It takes months to get there. News even takes longer. So yeah, this would yeah. be a perfect way for this Hellfire Club to do all the stuff that they want to do. They don't have to do it behind closed doors. They don't have to, you know, have all this secrecy. They get to flex their muscles openly. They get to see what the extent of their full power is. And again, like, like Bruce said, and if a colony gets wiped out or a whole town gets, eh, whatever, you know. Yeah. At least it's not my backyard. What was that, Jonathan? I said, at least it's not my backyard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you say King George, you need to understand that there were four King Georges. Okay. The first King George started in 1714. The last King George started in 1820. So... The the king that uh, the king that was the King George that you're talking about during the Revolutionary War was King George the Third. He came into power he came into power in 1760. He was the one that was well disposed toward the Hellfire Club. Oh yeah, in that case, then he would just be like, yes, uh, yes, yeah. take them out. Yes, his dad, you know, was the one that was tolerating this behavior from the upper crust, but may not have actually, been, you know, might might have kept himself apart and, and looking righteous while his son was getting involved in all this. And then his son takes over and is now has this ready conduit of or these contacts with the supernatural carsis, uh, spiritualists, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh uh, whatever you want to call, uh, you know, uh, demonicists, you know, who might have been part of the club, you know, he knows these people or he has ways of contacting these people. So they had an in, in, you know, because they like I said they were well disposed. So they had, and they wanted to bring this to him saying, hey, let us show, let, let us show what we can do for the empire. And, um, and and this this was a, a a grand opportunity for him to spread his wings too because you know the the King George's War they're talking about that was his dad he unfortunately the son lost that war you know the war of, 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 of against the revolution I'm sure he wanted to prove himself as good uh, a a warrior as good a warrior king as his dad so he when when they when the rumbling started happening with these colonists talking about secession and independence and things like that 
you know, I'm sure that he would like, you know, let's show them how much they need the British Army, you know, uh, that's quartered over there, or how much they need the British Navy. And let's send like a ship over there and, oh, New England. How do they make their money? Oh, fishing. They make it through fishing. Well, what if we cast a spell that causes all the fish to move away from the coast? All of a sudden, they're not fishing up anymore. Things are looking bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, and just things to break the spirit. So that, you know, when people are hungry, you know, they're less, you know, they're less willing to, you know, say, we don't need you. You know, we can take care of ourselves. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, another major thing that uh, they did, uh, well, you know, that America was for, you know, America basically was to receive products from Britain and to sell raw and send raw materials back to Britain to be manufactured into new things. That was that was the plan. That was how it was supposed to be. Now, in those forests, most of that that you know what we were talking about was pine tar, and most and that was coming from the vast forests that were in New England and on the edge of the border all around the colonies. Okay, and they would take those logs and send them down river and and uh, in the mills and uh, but you know a lot of times they were you know they, they weren't sending lumber back to England they were literally they were boiling they were extracting the tar out of these pine trees okay in these vast pine you know and they would use these like vast pine plantations where they were literally you know getting pine sap out of trees um, and the if you want to disrupt that, you know, there are, uh, you mentioned Wendigos, but there were, you know, this is also the same areas where there have been lots of sightings over the years of Bigfoot. Okay. And uh, I ran an entire adventure that took place uh, in about the, in, uh, around the 17, actually, I think it was the 1500s. But anyways, the still point was, is that it was the Indians of the area of New York. And their whole supernatural that was in that area. They had all kinds of supernatural beings. They had legends. They had this bear that was like had no fur on it. Uh, they had these floating heads, you know, that were uh, uh, basically spirits that that died, you know, uh, uh, in shameful deaths, and they weren't willing to go on to the to the next realm. I mean, I had we I did all kinds of stuff with my players. So those kinds of legends, those Indian legends, and those kinds of monsters are all there. And during the various wars that the British have, they could have learned, they could have had contact with these creatures and could have made, you know, you know, hands-off deals, you know, we'll pay, you know, you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone, because some of them are very powerful. They could also go and get them to go, okay, now we want you to come in, or we're going to go and attack you, so you'll then go and attack the colonists, thinking that they're us, you know, the British. So uh, so you, now you have a war on two fronts. You have, you have, you know, the supernatural coming in from the West, you know, causing trouble with the various towns and, and, and areas, and you have the British in their boats, setting up all kinds of trouble along the East Coast. It sounds, and here's the colonists caught in the middle between the two. See, here's my thing. I thought that 
the colonists would be able to get access to the the Native Americans, you know, the whole, you know, Plymouth Rock, you know, 1620, you know, the big dinner and all that, and have allies there. And it's like, okay, you know what? The people we came from, yeah, they're 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 messing with us. And it's stuff that is definitely not of 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 our Lord's making. Do you have anything that could help us out? You know, we'll help you. You know, you know the, the old saying: "You scratch, you you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours." You know, you got anything that can go up against that? Because yeah, we're getting various body parts of ours handed to us because of this. I figured that the colonists, you know, the Plymouth colonists and all that, the the people that were settling along the eastern seaboard, would be able to get help from the Native Americans there. But if the Brits had already gone around that back door earlier. Well, they had a lot of wars in that area. Yeah. But you're not wrong. I mean, you know, you're, you're basically saying that, you know, they have one front, which is the American seacoast uh, and, 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 and the, the various things that are happening in the colonies, and they could fall back and gain aid from the, the supernatural and the Indians uh, that were living West, yeah, you know, uh, of the you know either in the colonies themselves and with contacts further west, and you could be right. I mean, you know, this is you know it's also possible that some of the people that were in the British military, they now retired. They're now just colonists, and they know about these instances. So ah, when this when this sort okay. of thing happens, they basically they beat the the British to it, and they run out there and they say, hey. You know we know you know we we know who you are we we have a peaceful agreement with you. How about we come up with a way of you helping us and and you know providing us with, with aid? So that you know that could happen. Now that the one thing we haven't uh, so there's there's that. Uh, now there are there's a great resource out there by the way that can be used uh, for this whole thing. And it's from Green Ronin. Uh, it's called Colonial Gothic. Oh, I've heard of that too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Green Ronin Publishing. Okay, because because there is there are two D twenty companies. There's Green Ronin and Ronin Arts. This is actually reality. Uh, it says Reality Deviant Publications, Rogue Games. It's this is a true true twenty supplement. Uh, it says for. So Green Ronin is actually the people that produced True 20. Got it. Rogue Games are the ones that created Colonial Gothic. So it's, uh, and it was uh, written and designed by Richard Lorio II, Monica Valentilini, Matt uh, McElroy, uh, uh, McElroy, and James, I can't pronounce the last name, I'm sorry, uh, Maliskowski. Uh, Zot. Okay, it's it's Polish. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'll let it slide. Yeah. 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 And uh, <laughs> so I just want to give I just want to give credit because you know I, I'm I've been I'm looking at this you know and, and we're talking and they have lots of Native Americans. They've got um, you know uh, you know various things, uh, uh, monsters, weapons that could be used, secret histories, rituals. Powers. Oh no, this sounds along the lines of Northern Crown from Atlas Games. Yeah, let me. 
I'm, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, keep yeah, going. Yeah, so we this... got, you know, the colonies and natives, guide to the colonies, New England colonies, middle colonies, southern colonies, natives, and then, you know, the, the, the Cherokee tribe, the Chickasaw, the, uh, the Mohican, the Delaware, the Shawnee. So I'm just saying these are, you know, so the, these people, you know, they have shaman. Okay, they're, uh, and their shamans, you know, in, in Bureau 13 would have power. Uh, and so this could be used, you know, as uh, to, to really flesh out this thing. Now, uh, and, and another group that you could use, and this is from a purely uh, fictional source, but there is a play called Dark Side of the Moon, uh, that I have used in my Bureau 13 campaign about a whole group of supernatural beings who call themselves witches, but they're really more like uh, fey, elves, whatever, you know, uh, who, uh, who lived in the Catskill Mountains. Uh, and they, uh, the, they rode eagles in the night sky and they, uh, you know, cast curses on people for fun and they lived they lived 200 years and then they turned into fog on the mountain they were purely supernatural creatures uh, and the story of the play is about a witch boy named john who falls in love with a human girl named barbara allen and they tried to be with each other with disastrous results uh, because uh, the colony that she belongs to uh Never quite, never, never quite sees him as being good husband material, you know. And uh, but the point is, is that they, it, it's a, it's a pretty well fleshed out uh, uh, representation of a supernatural race living side by side with colonial people. And uh, it's not a long play, and, and they were certainly, uh, it, it, it seemed a, a little bit, you know. It, it, it had songs. It, it literally was a stage play. I in, in high school we actually did it as part of the. You know, so uh, you know, the, the, there's there's lots of sex in it, and lots of uh, doing things that you shouldn't be doing, and and um, you know, it's uh, ministers that uh, drink a lot. <laughs> All kinds of stuff, and you know, uh, conjure men and conjure women. So I'm just saying, it's it's a good resource uh, if you want to do it. And I have used it at least twice in my Bureau 13 campaign over the years when people have gone back in time and found themselves in that area, and they would run into some witch folk. So, uh, and those people could be negotiated with. I mean, you know, they they, they might they, they might want some gruesome things. But uh, they certainly could be negotiated with. So now the big question, and maybe uh, you and, and Jonathan can figure this out, is that uh, would there be any, other than the Freemasons, okay, I'll give you that, is there any group in the colonies that could be the, uh, the germ to create this new Bureau 13? Or would it have to be created by whole by whole cloth by, uh, George, you know George Washington and 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 that group? Well, I mean, they pretty much, from what I understand, the ma uh, the a lot of the founding fathers are part of the Freemasons. So yeah, I I'm thinking they would probably draw on that that Masons knowledge to just say, okay, you know what? Back home they're bringing up this, that, and the other. 
okay, we're opening the deep tomes and we're just bringing all of this to bear. I think the Freemasons would be their big, their big source of just, no, we're done with this. We want to be on our own. They're not letting us. We've warned them. If they have anything, if they keep doing this, they have something to lose. Boom. Yeah, I think the Freemasons, I'm, I'm not sure of any other group that would really be, that they could tap into. I'm not recalling any other type because I like the Order of the Golden Dawn, all that. That was probably not for another hundred years, you know, Aleister Crowley and all that. See, I, I think the Freemasons would be their best bet. Just draw on their ancient yeah. knowledge to just end it now. Because, yeah, the only other idea I had was that you could have, when we first were, were discussing this idea, I, I, the idea that came to my mind was uh, an order even more ancient than the Americas, and some of its like retired members had come over from England or, or elsewhere to colonize. You know, they thought they were retired from the supernatural hunting game, and oh no, look, I'm getting dropped back in. But as far as an organization, yeah, I mean, those people could easily be called Freemasons or anything else. But as far as what is historically known, I, I off the top of my head can't think of anything. And now I'm reminded of the whole thing from The Godfather. I keep trying to get back out, and they keep drawing me back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say the Freemasons, other than people like Jonathan said, who just dealt with that. And well, they, yeah. We know, we know of the Freemasons from England. Were there any organizations that had that kind of strange, mysterious, you know, quality to them out of France or Spain since those were I think the neighboring the, I think the, I think the Bavarian Illuminati was along later and I think they yeah. were from the Masons wait a minute let me look um, this is the whole thing you know like Linda Kaufman talk amongst yourselves I gotta and, and Bruce knows what I'm doing I'm looking for a PDF here so keep going and I'll, and I'll catch up yeah the Knight Templars okay you know that they got accused of basically going against their vows and, and, and were destroyed by the, the church itself. I believe, uh, oh God, I don't know, not 1066, but I would think it was Pope Gregory the 16th made that order and yeah, wiped them out. Yeah. Well, it's possible. So it's possible. You could say that there was an, uh, a, a, uh, a remnant of them that actually did come to the Americas uh, and, you know, with their knowledge of the supernatural and such, and uh, might have put it toward their aid. You know, uh, Freemasonry, it was founded in 1717. So uh, it's, and it was, and it was quite common in the American colonies. They, they were, they was not a religion. The members were encouraged to believe in a supreme being or a grand architect of the universe, which means, and their secret rituals brought them into conflict with the Catholic Church. So there's, there, matter of fact, they went on to have, church went on to have 20 decree, decrees against them. So uh, the point here is, is that they weren't a Christian group. So therefore, they could have had people that were practitioners of not necessarily dark arts, but you know more naturalistic arts that would allow the you know of, of magic and and uh, other things. Also, 
we don't know where all the Druids went to. You know, it's possible that some of them could have come over to the Americas, uh, and because it was certainly, you know, uh, that was not with, with you know Catholicism and such over in in, in Europe. It, it's no place to be a Druid, but over in America with all these trees and these Native Americans who you know, thought everything that came over from Europe was weird and, and strange. And they, they, they put up with the, uh, the weird and strange they already had. So what's a little more? So there, there could have been lots of, of Druids, you know, also, uh, you know, in, in small enclaves and such in the, uh, uh, in, in the near, you know, in, in the Eastern seaboard, but maybe over, like you say, in the Algonquin areas, maybe in, uh, in Pennsylvania. So, uh, so you, you've got those organizations that also could have been. And as a matter of fact, if you really wanted to say, where's a, a, an organized group that could have really drawn up a, uh, a force against the supernatural, I, you know, I would say that I would go with Freemasons, personally. Because they're already a secret organization. They already understand about, you know, signs and secret rituals. They already understand about keeping their mouth shut. So, uh, you know, and, and, and living a double life, which are all part of, 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 of being agents of, uh, against the supernatural and against the British. <laughs> okay. So uh, I could easily see that as, as, as something that was uh, uh, as a strong group to do that. And being set up in the 1770s, you know, uh, in Europe and spreading to America, they would be, I would think that they would be, you know, I wouldn't say they're in their heyday, but I think that uh, you could have some really, you know, strong groups of them over in America. Uh, and it does provide, uh, you know, some kind, some kind of counter uh, organization to the Hellfire Clubs and, and those people. Because from... Uh, because from what I understand of the Freemasons, which is very little, because it is a secret organization, these were very down to earth people. Okay, these, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of rituals and things like that, but it was mostly uh, uh, about you know making contacts, business contacts, and building businesses and things like that. So these were very, you know, this this wasn't a bunch of bored rich people dabbling with the occult over in England and the Hellfire Club. These were people that were looking for advantage, you know, against the the supernatural that might exist over, you know, again, trying to make contacts with the Indians, trying to you know create repositories of of actionable information. You know, I don't want to use the word spy networks, but but of, of, of collecting information that could be used uh, when people decided to stretch out into those areas with the, 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 the various woods and natives and things like that. So, you know, to me, the Freemasons would probably be the easiest way of doing this, you know, uh, and, and then they could go to uh, uh, General Washington and offer their help and give him the same thing that that uh, Lincoln and uh, other people have needed with Bureau Thirteen, which is plausible deniability. Yeah, yeah, they uh, we don't uh, we didn't do that. Just them. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. Yeah, we didn't summon a horde of uh, of uh, Wendigo and uh, and, uh, and 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 you know uh, uh, elk headed 
you know, humanoids from the woods to attack the British. That, you know, that's, that's uh, devil's work. You know, so we, we can't have the president of the United States, you know, uh, possibly the upcoming king of the United States. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, be the, uh, uh, you know, being somebody who's done that sort of thing. No, we need a secret organization that can, who already knows how to keep their mouth shut and who can do these things and fall back on their their uh, own uh, established uh uh, straight, you know, uh, identities and, and, and reputations. You know, what they do in those in those mason halls, nobody knows. But when they come home, they're, you know, straight-laced, you know, good, proper Christians, you know, usually, uh, uh, of the various ilks, you know, whether they be uh, Lutheran or Catholic or, uh, or Anglican or uh, uh, Quaker, or any of the other things, you know, that were uh, present in the uh, in the in the colonies of those days. Oh, Bruce, I had to go into hard copy to find this. But do you remember the episode we did on secret societies, where I used the source secret societies from uh, Sylvan Publishing, Flaming Cobra? Yes, it was an OGL book. Yes, okay, I have that hard copy here in my hand. Uh, some of the let's see, we have. I always mess up the, the Rosicrucians who were made in the early 17th century. So that could have been drawn upon because they were in Europe. Um, the Illuminati was made in 1776. So they would have, if, if they would have been used, it would have been very early on. And I doubt that the, the Bavarian Illuminati would have been, viable enough to act in the American Revolution, but definitely the Rosicrucians, uh, Hermetic Order, the Golden Dawn, okay, end, end of the 19th century. Uh, folks, please refer to the episode we did on secret societies. It was out like three, four years ago. Um, drawing from that same source now to help us out here. Yeah, we had three different uh, episodes on that. Oh, no, we got in deep with that one. Yeah, I, yeah. Um but yeah, other than maybe the Rosicrucians, Order of the Rose and the Cross, I believe is what it came, translated out to. Not the Rose, not the Rosy Crustaceans. That came later. That's Spiro Thirteen. Yeah, those are the people on the West Coast. The Rosicrucians and Gildensterns. That them too. Yeah, those are on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hear you snickering back there. Great. <laughs> I mean, you're getting into some other things here. Uh, the Priory of Scion, but that's more, yeah, I don't think they would really be involved with it. Um, Merovingians, yeah, no. Yeah, a lot of the secret societies I'm seeing here were, oh, in the waning part of the 18th century and the early 90s, yeah, that was too late for that. Um, no, not the Tongs and the yeah, Triad. It seems like no. you, there's, there's, there's a, quite a few ideas of, like, small organizations that could be consultants, but I think, yeah, the main spearhead probably would be the, the Freemasons. Yeah. If nothing else, that they're the ones that their whole, the whole organization is just about networking and that's what they do. They network with these guys and over here and these guys over here and they make contact with some of their old friends in, in England who aren't, you know, so blindly loyal to the King and, and, and they get some information, they put it all together to help defend the colonies. 
Yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.